Hi, I'm Maduni Krishnan, editor of Airline Weekly, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast is the audio from our weekly live streaming interview series, which we air every Monday at noon Eastern at forum.skiff.com. Join us for the weekly live stream. We'll take your questions live on air. And if, of course, if you prefer audio, we'll always be podcasting the Airline Weekly Lounge at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge Live. I'm your host, Maduni Christian, the editor of Airline Weekly. And I'm joined today by Brian Summers, Skift's Senior Aviation Business Editor. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Madhu. I am so happy to be here on your webinar. And we are saying morning because both Brian and I are in smoky California right now, and it is um, 9 a.m. and smoky. Um, less than ideal. It is less than ideal indeed. So, Brian, big news. Change fees. They've gone away. Everyone, you know, I've worked for two airlines. You've co- we've both covered this airline, this industry for a long time. And uh, it's one of those fees that probably right after bag fees that everyone hates. But now, yeah, it is big news. Yeah, Uh, so so take it away. This would have been bigger news maybe three or four years ago when we weren't in the midst of a global pandemic. You have to assume that in the next year or maybe two, this idea of change fees wasn't going to be in a big deal. But when United Airlines came out and made this announcement a couple of weeks ago, they didn't say no change fees for the rest of the year or for forever. We've talked about this many times on this podcast, webinar, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Scott Kirby, United CEO, is a very smart guy. He doesn't give away anything for nothing. There was something in the data that showed him that this was the right move long term. And, you know, we all know Scott. He's not that interested in the wishy-washiness of customer happiness. So it was probably something on a spreadsheet. What do you think? Hmm. What what did he see? Um, That's a good question. I, um, I... I'm wondering, you know, so I talked to Allison Taylor, who's chief customer officer at American about this last week. And and of course, she said that uh, American had been planning this move for a long time and was planning to announce the news on Monday. You know, United sort of preempted them by announcing the news on a Sunday. Uh, But uh, she said that American had been thinking about it for a long time. And her argument was that it was it's a way to build loyalty and that's what they were seeing in the data right like the the a lot this was astonishing to me but 30 percent of americans passengers now are under the age of 30. that's up from 10 percent in pre-pandemic times and these are not people who are more generally loyal travel haven't built a loyalty to an airline so this was a move to help build loyalty now that that's a sort of qualitative argument um what do you think the quantitative? I'm going to kick this back to you. What do you think the quantitative argument is that that? Uh, so the, the short term argument is is reasonably easy to understand. I mean, uh, one of the things is that these larger airlines are now essentially leisure airlines. They're competing with Southwest right. Airlines for essentially the same passengers. They need similar policies and procedures. That makes sense. Another thing that came up uh, in an investor conference last week was the booking curve in the time of COVID has changed. Mm -hmm. So the leisure customer used to buy three or six months in advance. They would think they would get a good deal. They would leave it alone. But now a couple airlines, Alaska Airlines included, said leisure travelers are waiting until the last minute to book. 
I'm sure airlines don't like that uh, very right. much. Um, so again, for the next year or two, maybe they can persuade customers not to wait until the last minute, whether they're going to go or not go, but they'll go back to buying tickets six or nine months in advance. And that's cash in the door that exactly. you know, these are, these are free change fees. You don't get your money back. So the cash will eventually you'll have to transport those people, but you'll never have to give them back their money. That's right. Um, so it's it, it does show a change, I think, overall um, in the airline industry. Um, some of our uh, listeners and viewers have heard me joke about the machinations of airline PR um, before. <laughs> and we, we, we joke about this in part because Madhu uh, has worked for two airlines in PR. Um, but the, the, the chirping behind the scenes of United and American where the United people on that Sunday were like, this was all our idea. And then the American people the next day and the next week started kind of telling reporters quietly, but not for attribution, well, we were going to do it first. And right. nobody really knows what the answer is. The United people are like, no, I, I think we were going to do it first. And the American people are like, no, 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 we were going to announce it Monday. Does that work? <laughs> is, there, is, is, is this a, a game of intrigue for anybody but, uh, but us? Do people care who was first? I'm going to say probably not. Yeah. No one cares. Uh, you, did, you did think... notice that uh, that American actually went uh, farther um, than United, yes. uh, adding, I think, Canada and uh, Mexico and the Caribbean. And right. uh, uh, United had to back paddle a little bit. I don't think they added Canada, uh, but they did add uh, Mexico and the Caribbean. That's right. And, um, you know, I think uh, the our buddy Cranky Flyer, Brett Snyder, yep. um, said that uh, Americans seemed to be, Americans' decision seemed to be pretty well thought out and a long-term plan. Now, he did say that Delta seemed a little more slapdash and, and thrown together. For those of you who didn't weren't paying attention to the airline news last week, Delta followed later Monday, I believe. Or was it Tuesday with the change um, fees? I think it was Monday. Uh, yeah, so uh, I will say, you know, Delta uh, brought this up um, on their at their investor day last year. They actually talked about making some changes to their change fee policy. So they were talking about this first before the pandemic. I okay. don't know what they would have done, but. And then Alaska followed Tuesday, right? Yes. And JetBlue still has not followed. No. Do any of our viewers or listeners know why? That's a that's a very good question. And, and neither have the ULCCs like uh, Spirit or Allegiant. Right? Yeah, I mean, you get the feeling they just have a different model and they may never yeah. match. Um, the other thing, uh, I don't know if you've been hearing this too, but Allison Taylor told me that, uh, from American, told me that, uh, you know, there is no business travel right now, right? We know that. Yeah, 95% American said. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, but, but people who ordinarily would travel for business are taking leisure trips and want sort of the same perks or are used to flying for business, they expect the same perks, uh, you know, fewer change fees, et cetera, um, in their leisure travel. So this is a way to extend that to their, to uh, a benefit to their high value travelers who are not taking business trips right now, but are still traveling. So I don't know if you've yeah, heard I'm, that from I'm, other look, I, I'm, I'm happy about this as a traveler. Um, I also think, um, you know, it, it sounds like Allison Taylor had quite a few uh, speaking notes uh, before yes. her when, when, when she was talking. And it's like, absolutely, you want them to just say, we have no idea what's going on. Travel is down very much. And we're just going to throw everything against the wall to see if we can get anybody back on our airplanes paying reasonable fares, whatever it takes. Right. 
kind now, of uh, the, the, the question that we all want to know, right, is that they are going to, airlines are going to have to make up this revenue somehow. There nothing's for free. In this right. And we have this question here from Anonymous on the screen. Oh, which I can't read because I don't have my glasses on. Vanity will get you every time. Uh, please discuss where airlines will make up the money, Anonymous asks. I presume they'll be cleverer in their yield curve and punish changes through bigger fare differences. Brian, you want to take a, a crack at that? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, one thing uh, to keep in mind is that uh, while these change fees, uh, new policies are generous, they do not affect long-term the basic economy fare. So right. in the 2018, 2019 period, we were kind of used to most people that we knew, unless they were feeling really cheap that day, would buy the regular fare because they would want to keep whatever perks that they had earned or they wanted to choose a seat or all those things. And a small percentage of passengers on a relative basis bought basic economy. But if things come back to normal or close to normal, you know, you can put the basic economy fare here and the regular fare here, and the regular fare may be so much higher than the basic economy fare that even people like uh, you know you and me will buy basic economy, and then guess what? The lowest fare in the market, it's still it went back to be. Um, right. So there's all kinds of things that you right. So yeah, nothing is for free, and right now it may seem like it's there for think you're get we're getting this perk for free because fares are low, no one's flying, airlines desperate to fill airplanes, but. If they're true to their word and these are permanent, this is a permanent change, right? We'll see some, we'll see fares go up and fare classes change. Yes. You get the so. feeling though that with airlines in survival mode, they're going to do what they can now to get cash in the door and they're going to yep. worry about that later. Exactly. Um, now, I, I, I am like you, Brian, I'm very curious to what was going on with an uh, airline comm, comms departments around the country and how how busy their Sunday night was last week. Um, and They're very competitive. Uh, and I love the whisper campaign that we've all been hearing from the various uh, comms departments like, oh, we were planning this. We were, we were thinking about this long. So it's, it's, it's an interesting game for those of us who are in. Yeah, industry. I'll give you something else in our in our in our readers and, and 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 viewers or listeners and viewers, and maybe they don't care about another thing that's going in the the whisper mill or the rumor mill. Um, United CEO Scott Kirby went on CBS this morning, yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, Sunday talk show, and you know made a plea for more payroll protection money because mm -hmm. it ends on September thirtieth. Well, Scott Kirby was. Uh, was speaking from, I don't know, his second or third home in Beaver Keep Creek, Colorado. <laughs> and uh, some people at Arrival Airlines wondered about the optics. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't hear Should that. Yeah, he flown to another airport. She had flown home to Chicago and done the interview there. Perhaps people I don't, don't think care, he lives but... in, I don't think he lives in. Are you are you sharing another secret, Madhu? No, of course not. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> um, anyway, um, moving along, um, we have a question from another anonymous here. Um, punishing via higher fare differences is is irrelevant in the short to medium term when there is near zero demand for business travel. Will airlines get that pricing power back anytime soon? Nope. Nope. Is there another question? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, you and no. I are having too much fun. But it's just hard to see. Yeah. I mean, look, business travel, when it, when a major airline says 95% of its or business travel is down by 95%. I mean, think about that for a second. 95% is all, almost total collapse of the most lucrative fares and lucrative um, or biggest source of revenue for an airline. And uh, 
when they're in that position, no, they're not going to get their pricing power back anytime soon until until those the business travelers start moving again. And I can't see that happening anytime soon. Brian? Yeah. And one interesting thing, because we saw it a little bit over the summer, every time uh, some of these airlines say that they see green shoots, which is a phrase I don't care for and only recently started hearing, they <laughs> send out a press release saying we're going to mm -hmm. add capacity and we're taking 20 more airplanes out from the desert and look how great we are. So it's like you can't get pricing power until at least you bring back kind of all your airplanes or all the airplanes that you were going to bring. There's just even when things get a little bit better, they just bring out more well, you know, I think we should pause here for a second. I know you, you and I didn't talk about this in our prep for this uh, for this uh, live stream, but uh, what Kirby Scott Kirby mentioned, the uh, CEO of United mentioned yesterday um, about uh, imploring Congress to extend the payroll support program of the CARES Act, which expires September 30th, and every airline has warned that tens of thousands of employees will be laid off or furloughed on October 1st. Um, Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, has has come out in favor of what he calls a clean extension of the CARES Act payroll support program through March 31st. The unions, um, air, um, the Association of Flight Attendants and the Airline Pilots Association, among others, have uh, have uh, were picketing Congress last week um, to extend this. Um, but it doesn't look like, I mean, we've got two weeks. It doesn't look like they're, Congress can't even decide what letterhead to use to send memos to each other, right? I mean, I'm being facetious, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the Senate bill, the skinny Senate bill that was being considered last week and which went down in flames did not have any additional money for airports or airlines. Um, it, it seems like there is, the hopes are dimming pretty fast for for this. And I don't know what you're hearing, Brian, about um, like, are airline employee are airlines just resigned to having to to um, to cut their to do yeah, reductions in force? I, I I think so. I mean, mm -hmm. anything could happen, but I also think that it's important to remember that some of these airlines weren't asking or expecting for an extension beyond October first. Right. Um, they did see what was happening over the summer, and they saw that some of the unions, especially the AFA, the big flight attendants unions, were actually getting traction in getting Congress to think about an extension. And when that started happening, people like Ed Bastian, who at first said, you know, we're probably not going to get more payroll extension, started supporting it. And so I don't know that these airline CEOs and, and board members are going to be all that surprised if they don't get it. It seemed like it was a nice to have and not a mm -hmm. need to have. They had the last six, six months to get everything in order. Um, they're not going to be surprised. They're going to be able to run their businesses after October 1st and life is going to go on. The big thing is that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And, and I know that that's a bad thing, but I think the airlines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as someone else, I think it was Brett Snyder again, who mentioned when we had him on a few weeks ago that, right, the, the payroll support program is meant to be a bridge between the two right. legs of a V, of the V-shaped right. recovery. And now it's abundantly clear that there will not be a V-shaped recovery. So airlines are girding for a smaller future. Now they they therefore don't need. And if I could pivot just back to the um, the question about pricing power, um, right. I've, I've been I've been on this uh, webinar uh a few times, uh, and I can be uh, pretty pretty negative and, and pessimistic, but I do think you know airlines will get back to some version of normal at some point, and I could see 
two or three years down the line when we have a vaccine and people are traveling all the time because there's all this pent up demand and airlines don't have enough employees, they don't have enough airplanes to keep up, they don't have enough pilots to fly the airplanes. And all of a sudden you have that command, yeah. that demand and capacity imbalance and then airlines get that pricing power back pretty quickly and, and, and the consumer isn't happy. But I don't know that you can force airlines or even you know, give airlines money on October 1st to keep them at artificially high capacity levels because in two or three years you might. Yeah. And, and to that point as well, you know, if airlines are preparing to be 25 to 30% smaller, as many have said they will be in the fourth quarter, um, a, it takes time to spool back up, right? So, so if travel starts to rebound really quickly, let's say in a year, if there's a therapeutic or a vaccine that works and we've reached a, a, a place in the population where public health officials believe we have some kind of immunity built up through vaccination or whatever, uh, and people start traveling again, it will take time for airlines to spool back up to what they were in 2019, bringing back employee, hiring ton, tens of thousands of employees and bringing aircraft out of the desert. And rejiggering their route networks, et cetera. And so there will be a moment, I think, when there will be some moment in the future where airlines will have abundant pricing power, where fares will uh, will probably rise to a point that uh, that will surprise those of us who are used to flying to yeah. across and the country. Yeah, and you know what's going to be interesting, cents. at least in my opinion, I mean, certainly uh, people that, that don't have the money to travel are going to be out of luck and they're going to be very upset. But I think uh, this uh, pandemic has just been so difficult for a lot of people that uh, a lot of consumers, they yeah. haven't been on an airplane in two or three years and they're going to be like, okay. Well, a, se a segment of the population. I mean, we haven't really seen the, the full e economic impact of this pandemic yet, right? There's going to be a, a large part of the population that will have no, has run through its discretionary savings and will not have the income to, to travel. Right. So you know, uh, some of those trips to visit grandma may not happen. Uh, we got a question from Peter G. Is Boeing going to fly all those newly recertified or newly recertified 737 Maxes to the Mojave Desert? I say no. I actually, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think they're going to, they will, because I think there is a move now. I mean, you're seeing it in, in airlines across the world of uh, retiring less efficient aircraft right. and, and um, you know, saving their most efficient keeping maintaining their most efficient aircraft for serve whatever limited service they're operating now and and um air lease corporation um has has openly said that they think that uh the uh, airlines will buy more aircraft and retire be more aggressive at retiring older aircraft even if they're smaller because they just want the cost savings and the the route capabilities of the newer aircraft right. are just too too attractive to consigned in the desert. Seems hard to believe that you would sit down a brand new airplane. Yeah. 747s? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Looks you like uh, Lufthansa is going to sit down at 747-400s, but we've talked about that a million times. It's just yes. another airline every time making that announcement. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful thing in the 1970s. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, because uh, if there's going to be a theme on this, it's going to be kind of like uh, the, 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 the good natured, um, back and forth that seems to happen, uh, between airlines often now between American and United, uh, United, your former employer, uh, said in a time of pandemic that it is still going to, or it is going to launch, uh, San Francisco to Bangalore, which yeah. is at the edge of the performance capability of a Boeing 787. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, why is United doing? Well, it doesn't uh, have for... anything to do with a competing airline that has announced <laughs> Seattle Bangalore. Has nothing to do with that, of course. Nothing. Well, I think in before times, you know, Alaska and Americans move. Uh, well, Americans launching of um, Bangalore Seattle flight and tying in with Alaska heavy presence in the Bay Area was smart because it took it provided a, a pretty easy way for tech workers in the Bay Area to get to Bangalore. I have a feeling United's is a little bit different right now because it's um, uh, like it's one of it's a business route for sure, but there's also a lot of Indian Americans and Indians in the Bay Area, and it there it's um, via uh, vis- leisure travel, visiting friends and fr- family, or vi- visiting friends and relatives, VFR travel is the area that's expected to uh, to recover most quickly and is already starting to recover. So uh, the Bangalore route is both leisure, both business when that comes back, and a VFR route. So I, I, it's, a, it's a smart move. Yeah, and I suppose part. that the, the bar, uh, you know, to reach system average uh, profitability is a lot lower than nine months ago. Yeah, for sure. Um, do, uh, do our viewers uh, know uh, about uh, Madhu's sort of odd interest because he brings it up on every internal skip, uh, <laughs> conference every single morning? Madhu is obsessed with the cargo business. which Cargo I also, is fascinating. Uh, <laughs> uh, which I also find interesting. Um, and, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, I wrote a story about cargo and there's only one thing that, that kept in my mind about this. Cause the guy said it over and over again, we're talking about fresh fruits. He mm-hmm. said, you can never break the cold chain. And now Madhu has been talking about the cold chain nonstop for like the past week. Madhu, why is the cold chain in your mind right now? <laughs> well, you know, it, in a few months, there may be a vaccine, uh, for, for COVID-19. Airlines will be play a large role in transporting this vaccine around the world, um, and they're already raising the alarm that uh, the governments need to step in and make sure that uh, that they're coordinating on how uh, how this vaccine is be, will be transported and distributed and kept safe. And about the cold chain, I mean, you know, if you can't break the cold chain. But if you if a shipment, an air shipment of cherries goes bad, sits on the tarmac for 24 on a hot tarmac for 24 hours and goes bad, you'll have a lot of people upset that they're not getting their cherry pie that week. Right. But it's not it's not a matter of life and death. If a vaccine, a shipment of vaccine is sitting on a tarmac because of customs holdup or somehow the cold chain is broken, it could be a matter of life and death. So, you know, the International Air Transport Association is saying we have to. Governments have to make sure that, you know, customs regulations are coordinated, that procedures are coordinated, so the cold chain is never broken, that the vaccine can be transported safely from the point of manufacture to the airport, on the aircraft, and from the the delivery airport to where it needs to go, all, you know, in temperature-controlled environment. And um, that that's an area of concern. The other thing that you know go- airlines are worried about is, and rightly so, is they will soon be transporting what will arguably the, be the world's most valuable commodity and most important commodity. Um, and there 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 are numerous spots in the, the logistics chain where security is a concern, and it should not be the airline's responsibility. They the industry argues to to you know have armored vehicles on the tarmac or what have you to to keep these vaccines safe so it's a really you know it's a thorny problem 
the airline industry says it's it's capable and ready and has the cargo capacity because of all these idled aircraft and what have you to to transport this vaccine but but they need help from the government they need from the world's governments they need security they need logistics support they need regulations to be coordinated i mean it's it's a really interesting problem one i could talk well, about well, for hours but go on. <laughs> will vaccine transportation sort of uh will we see it uh on earnings will it have a material effect on earnings or is it just oh, good question i th- i'm i'm leaning towards the latter i think you know cargo is Cargo now is buoying a lot of airlines like, you know, Asiana, Korean, Turkish, Emirates, even United are making an American are making money from cargo, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to replace the, the lost revenue from passengers. I, but yeah, I think it'll show up in earnings. I think we'll, when there is a vaccine, we'll hear about the, um, the effect of the bottom line on um, earnings calls whenever that may, may be, hopefully sooner rather. Any more questions from our audience? Uh, yeah, come on, bring it. <laughs> there must be three or four of you on there to watch. <laughs> oh, give us a little more credit than that, Brian. Um, whew, so, Brian, let's talk. Let's just pivot really quickly. We have a few more minutes left to uh, to your neck of the woods, Los Angeles. Um, yes, there's a lot of interesting things going on there, like Long Beach, the you know Ontario, um, LAX. Suddenly, there's this like it's this rush to serve LAX. Why is that? Well, you know, there's always been an interest in LAX because I believe it's the number one origin in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a bunch of airlines here uh, that call LAX a hub or a focus city. You never hear that it's all that profitable. Um, right. A bunch of airlines say that you have to be in LAX. Um, but why, you know, explain this to somebody who, who's come lives in the rather compact Bay area. I mean, yeah. LA, LAX is, it's a pain to get to from a lot of the, the, the city or a lot of the region. And, um, (laughs) you can answer that question offline, Brian. (laughs) It's a, if, and there, there's several airports, you know, just looking at from outside, there's so so many more convenient airports depending on where you live. So why, why, well, you know, a lot of people uh, thought that uh, Long Beach airport would Mm -hmm. be one of the most convenient airports in the LA area. Uh, It's a very friendly airport. It's easy to get on the plane, off the plane. There's very little uh, security line. Uh, They don't use uh, jet bridges, but uh, JetBlue has had so much trouble in Long Beach over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years and they're pulling out and they're moving their airplanes to LAX. The one big thing we've talked about LAX a bit in the past, but uh, Mm -hmm. over the last two weeks, uh, JetBlue came out and said that it would add even more routes um, from LAX. Uh, It's going to be interesting. I mean, I think that the people around here are interested in, in the mint service. Um, They're going to be doing like LA to Liberia, Costa Rica, which is a popular place uh, to go from here. And, you know, they want, They've been shut out essentially of LAX, JetBlue has for so long. They want to use this pandemic uh, to establish a foothold at LAX so that they can at least be as relevant as the other airlines there. Um, it's an important market and we could go on and on about, about why, but it always has been. And uh, you know, airlines in LA, they go up, they go down, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't tend to just like take their ball and go home. Some people thought United might, uh, it still might, uh, but uh, that's been a, I've lived in LA for 11 years and the question of is United going to pull out uh, has been going on for those 11 years and it, it hasn't happened. They go up a little bit, they go down a little bit. Right. Um, 
And it looks like American is prioritizing LA less now than it was, but they're still going to be. Yeah, but it's a, it's kind of an impossible airport for anyone to make a hub, right? I mean, yeah, Virgin so you America have a, you claimed have, it as You have a hub. gate space problem. Yeah. Um, so you can't even the numbers that you do as another hub. And then, you know, geography. Um, and then a lot of the flights, you hear this a lot. A lot of the flights that you would think would make a lot of money, um, you know, LA, Singapore, LA, mm -hmm. Seoul, um, you have the Asian flag carriers on those routes. Yeah. Um, and those, the, you know, Korean Air has to be flying it during good times, three or four times a day. It's really hard to compare to that. Then you have Asiana, which is like the little little Korean. They have to do it a couple <laughs> times a day. And then Korean got the A380, so Asiana has to get the 380. Right. And you see this like in a lot of Asian and, and even like, you know, uh, South Pacific countries. And it makes it hard. Right. Well, Brian, uh, we got one last question. Is this the time for a smart carrier to do something exciting and new to their loyalty offering to do a post-pandemic land grab? Brian, take it away. Yes. And they should hire <laughs> you, Mr. or Ms. Anonymous, uh, to run it. You know, airlines are so uh, risk averse. Uh, they're, 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 they're doing like they like to do whatever has worked in the past. Uh, with with minimal, you know, we well know that I've been a United loyalist for a while. So just as a customer, I'm most familiar with that program. Uh, every year, you have to spend more money than you did the year before to earn this vaulted 1K status. Um, it's probably over. It's supposed to be over twenty thousand dollars right now. Uh, I'm not going to say that nobody can spend that much money anymore. But the customers that an airline like United or the others expected to materialize and pay more than 20 grand a year for airline tickets, they're, they're not coming back this year. They're probably not coming back um, next year. And uh, I do think that airlines have to rethink their frequent flyer programs, and I hope that they will. I expect that in some form or another, um, they, they will make changes. You can't expect people to spend as much money in 2021 as you initially uh, expected them to. But they'll probably be uh, the lawyer. That's a shame. Thank you, Peter, uh, for that. Um, and Peter, uh, who asked this question, says he accepts offers. <laughs> you heard it here first, Peter. <laughs> All right, Brian, I want to thank you for joining us um, again on the uh, the on Airline Weekly Lounge Live. Um, Thank you all for participating and for asking your questions. The replay of this uh, this recording, this video will be available on airlineweekly.com later today. And the audio podcast will be available wherever you get your podcasts at, um, later this week. And as usual, if you have any feedback for me, reach me at mu at skift.com. Brian, thanks a lot. Thank you, Madhu. It's been my pleasure. Goodbye.